if I can give you one thing that you can take with you and carry with you for the rest of your life, I'm, I'm, I've become your trainer for life. So if there's one value that you walk away with from me, for me, I've done my job. And that's the most important thing. Seven of Hurdle. Wow. Emily Abadi here. You are listening to Hurdle, a wellness focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential and, of course, have some fun along the way. I cannot believe (laughs) that we are here in season seven of the show. If you are a new hurdler, and that's the nickname that I've given my listeners, I am so, so, so happy to have you here. This show has been a labor of love for me since it began at the very beginning of 2018, and I am here to continue on this journey, Amy, to bring you some really solid content. Now, as I said in the intro, you can continue to expect some really awesome stuff from me, chatting with experts about all aspects of health, whether that's mental, physical, feminine, gut, financial, you get the picture. I also think now is a really great time for me to reiterate my credentials to you so you know where I'm coming from. I am an ACE certified trainer, a UESCA certified run coach. I also have a level one precision nutrition certification. I was the fitness editor at Self Magazine before going out on my own as a freelancer and launching this show. And I currently still write for a number of titles ranging from GQ to runner's world. I am also an avid runner. I'm training now for marathons number 10 and 11. And fun fact, I was not always this way. So if you want to hear more about my backstory, how I got active, how I made some major changes in my life, click on over to episode one of the show. I will link it in the show notes. But enough about me. You are here because, well, hopefully because you love Hurdle, but also because Adrian Williams is here to kick off a new season with me. Adrian is a Peloton instructor beloved by many. I cannot even begin to tell you about the dozens of DMs I got when I shared that he was going to be on the show. Today, We find out all about his backstory. Born and raised in the Bronx, Adrian tells me about the two distinct hurdle moments that shaped him into the man he is today. We rap a ton about the importance of family and movement and therapy, all of which are critical tools in his toolbox so that he can regularly show up for Peloton's community of millions of members. Of course, no better way to celebrate a new season than with a giveaway or a series of giveaways, actually. I am offering up some really awesome things from some of Hurdle's sponsors, from a Tracksmith gift card to an inside tracker test, gooder sunglasses, and so much more. There are two ways to enter for your chance to win. The first way is over on Instagram. Head on over to the Hurdle Instagram page. That's over at Hurdle Podcast. Sunday night, September 12th, if you are listening to this in real time, I will have shared a post on Sunday evening that you will need to reshare in your stories with 
your answer. You will understand when you head on over to the post why this is all relevant. In that post, there will also be all of the details of who else you need to be following for that reshare to count. The second way to enter to win is to head on in over to the Apple Podcasts store and rate and review the show. Always important, your ratings, your reviews, they mean the world to me. If you enter in this way, and I hope that you do, make sure you DM me a screen grab of your review. I will be revealing the winners of these giveaways in the weekly hurdle newsletter this Friday morning, meaning that the giveaways will close at 8 p.m. Eastern Thursday night. So if you aren't subscribed and signed up to that just yet, make sure you do so by clicking on over to the show notes. And the best part is that the newsletter is free. Now some more housekeeping to take care of. I'm also excited today to announce two more big things. Firstly, you can now text a special hurdle number to stay in the loop on all things on the show. Get regular motivation, inspiration, and special deals from the show's sponsors. Note, this is not two-way communication. This is just for me to send things to you. So to get in on this, text WELCOME, W-E-L-C-O-M-E, to 732-HURDLER. That's 732 732- 487-3537. Again, text welcome to the number 732-HURDLER. I am so excited to be on SMS with you. And lastly, I feel like this one needs a drum roll. The thing that I've been working tirelessly on, the Hurdle membership. That is right. As of today, the Hurdle membership is open. Your question, naturally, what's included in the membership, Emily? Well, I am so glad that you asked. We are going to be working off of a 12-month values calendar with every month having a different theme. So members will get access to exclusive content, weekly journaling prompts that go with the theme, regular workshops with top experts, members-only live hangs, as well as first access to new merch, hurdle sessions, and in-person live events. A lot of stuff here. For more details on the membership, click on over to the show notes or head on over to hurdle.us slash membership to sign up. If you have any specific questions, you can always feel free to shoot us an email over at hello at hurdle.us. And on the members page, there is also a frequently asked questions section that can definitely help you out. I am so amped for this membership. It has been something that has been in the works for some time. And I'm not one to give spoiler alerts, but the first live conversation in October for members only will be with Adrian. That's right. We're going to be having an intimate discussion on October's theme, which is community. We're going to talk about how it's impacted us, what community has looked like within our lives as we've come of age. And also, of course, open up the floor to answer questions. Whew, big exhale. I told you, big premiere, lots of stuff, giveaways, texting, the membership, Adrian, what else do you need? Thank you so much for giving me your ear, for joining in. I am just elated to move into this next chapter of the show. Now, admittedly, I do have a few more tricks up my sleeve, but you're going to have to stay tuned for those. You know how we do with that. <laughs> Let's get to hurdling.
today I am sitting down with Adrian Williams. He is a Peloton instructor. Adrian, I'm going to spoil this for you. You are the first guest for season seven of Hurdle. So welcome to the fam. Let's go. <laughs> so excited. Thank you for having me. For sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for sitting down with me. So you know what I want to start this off with? I want to start this off with in your Instagram bio, you have the phrase negativity makes me nauseous, which yes. is I feel that I'm with it. But how does someone who feels as though like negativity is kind of like waving in and out of their life, they want to grab a hold of that? What do you say to someone who's trying to deal with that who's trying to embrace a more positive way? Well, I think for anyone who's trying to, so when I say negativity makes me nauseous, uh, I, it, I'm like particularly speaking to our industry. Uh, I think in our industry, a lot of times there's, you meet people who are in amazing shape, you meet people who are amazing things, and there's this interaction. And the first thing people always point out to you is something negative that they've noticed instead of something positive. When I say negativity makes me nauseous, it's, it's your approach to things, right? So you approach someone and we're having an interaction, I would rather point out something positive first about you or something that you did versus speaking about something negative. I, I don't like to bring that energy into my space. I like it to stay away. I take on, I'm an empath. I take on people's energy a lot of times. So I keep it out now. I used to just invite it all in, but for someone who's trying to bring positivity into their space, I think it starts first thing in in the morning, right? Mindful meditation or um, positive words of affirmation. Start with something positive in your day. And I know we wake up in, especially in New York, and there's this chaos always, right? And so the first thing you think is, oh, I got to go to work. So you already start off with something negative. Um, I think trying to change that narrative and uh, creating something positive for yourself. And that is, is, looks different for everyone. So like not everyone has time for meditation, even though I think everyone does have five to 10 minutes. But you can definitely start off by brushing your teeth and saying positive things to yourself in the morning um, and let that set the tone for your day. For sure. And I think that's something that's important in this saying positive things to yourself is you don't need to overextend it, right? So you don't need to say to yourself, like, I am the best best, best thing to ever happen to this planet. Like, cool. If, if you truly believe that, then that's one thing. But you can literally say something like, I've got this. Start there. Right. And I say this all the time while I'm at the end of my classes, because I think it's important. Um, and it's super simple. You're kind, you're powerful, you're strong. And you can go with those three things throughout the day, right? Kindness, um, feeling empowered and feeling like you have the strength to endure. Um, I think it's so important to think about these things, especially uh, as a reminder throughout your day, because you're going to be challenged with things that will probably try to come into your space and affect you in some sort of weird way. And you just want to remember these like these things that keep you grounded or rooted, um, which is why I always say this at the end of every class. So people take that with them and they're like, okay, I'm kind, I'm powerful, I am strong. Kindness first, always. But um, I think these three, three, these, these three things are very, very important. For mm -hmm. sure, for sure. Kindness. You and I share that in our personal ethos. You mentioned that living in New York, I know that you're not all that far away from me in this mm -hmm. Brooklyn borough over here. What I want to bring us back to is that you have been uh, in New York for quite some time now. So talk to me about your upbringing in New York and, and what that was like for you. Yeah, so I've lived in New York for a whole 37 years. Yes, there's white in my beard, so please respect it. I'm an old <laughs> man. No, I, so I grew up in New York. I grew up in the Bronx, um, one train all the way uptown. And 
as a New Yorker, and let me remind people of this because everyone thinks New Yorkers are rough and tough and mean and aggressive. Um, New Yorkers are the nicest people. It's the people that usually move here and think they have to be rough in New York who kind of take on this attitude and this lifestyle. But um, so I grew up in the Bronx and we grew up going to the South as kids because my grandma's family is from North Carolina, Atlanta. Um, we've got family in Ohio, but we grew up going down South. So there was this like Southern influence in, in terms of like charm and respect that we all grew up with. And so when we came back to New York, even the hustle and bustle here, we were always polite. We were always um, definitely respectful. Very, we grew up in a very gentle family. So I'm, I'm super calm in terms of my approach in my day to day. And like, I don't overthink things. Usually my mom was very much a person who was the sweetest human to everyone. So I took on that attribute and so did my sister and so my brother's even nicer than I am, I would say. But um, I took on that attribute in, in terms of like personality. And then my dad, who's my stepdad, um, God rest his soul, he was like the Italian who was just like, in your face, I'm going to tell you what it is and I'm going to be honest and I'm going to poke you. So that side of me is there too. You just don't see that side unless I need to use it in some way, shape or form. But New York has New York has been the best place growing up. I just think in terms of meeting all kinds of humans. I've I've had the opportunity to be in like a melting pot of people and culture and music and influence and pop culture. So there's we've I kind of had everything here, and I had it at an early stage, right? So in New York, you experience things here when you're 15, 16, 17. By the time you get to your you know mid to late 20s, you're tired of the the things that everyone comes here to do i think it's made me in terms of like loving and um accepting and uh just curious and, uh, about things that are outside of me or outside of my culture or outside of my safe space it's made me this person who seeks to understand versus question i've always been a person who wants to meet people and learn about humans just because i'm so curious when it comes to something i don't understand I, I wouldn't change it. There was a point in my life where I wanted to leave New York and I'm glad that didn't happen. And it was right before Peloton. <laughs> I was gonna, I was thinking about moving to the West Coast, changing industries and like going into production um, and starting from scratch. And then Peloton all of a sudden was like, knock, 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 sir. We, uh, we want you to come do some stuff here. And then, so I stayed and I'm happy I stayed. <laughs> you are getting ahead of us here. We have to, we have to slowly ease into the Peloton chapter. So you, you mentioned your late father or your late stepfather. Is this the stepfather who had cancer? Yeah. So he passed away from cancer 10 years ago now, but he battled it for like quite a bit. Talk to me about what it was like when you and your family first found out about this diagnosis. So he was a smoker in the army. I'm sure he, he told me he saw terrible things uh, when he was stationed. But smoker, um, in terms of eating, he ate well because my mom was an amazing cook. But he smoked his whole life from 16 to the time, like until he passed away, literally. Because when he found out it was terminal, he was just like, "What? A, why stop now? And I totally understand that sentiment. But he, when we found out, we were kind of... I think when, you know, someone smokes, it's not a surprise. That's always your biggest fear. So when our family found out, I think the way we are, me and my brother were the most understanding that this was going to happen. I think my sister and my mom were the most devastated. My sister was like his, you know, 
his precious, like sacred little girl. They had an amazing relationship. And so do me and my brother, but we're very much humans who, when they hear something in terms of like bad news, we want to be there for everyone else. So we knew that we couldn't, not that we couldn't show emotion, but that we were going to need to be there for my mom, my sister. At the time, I remember my brother had just a project, I think he worked for um, Viacom at the time, and he was going to shoot a kid who was on his fourth tour in Afghanistan. And it was like, this is towards the end um, of him getting cancer. And I remember my brother being, you know, scared to go away. And he was like, oh, I don't, I don't think this is a good time to leave. And I was like, no, don't worry about it. Cause I was, um, my dad had a, a nurse that would came, that would come, but I basically uh, took care of him during the day and stayed with him, you know, changed his bandages on his legs, made him food, that kind of thing. I remember my brother going away and I was like, listen, if anything changes really aggressively, I'll make sure to tell you so you can get back. I mean, we didn't know that it would take when you're in Baghdad, it takes two. Well, at the time, it took two weeks to get out. So in the two weeks when my dad like got really sick and then um, had to go to hospice, we told my brother and he actually couldn't make it back for the funeral. And he, you, I mean, he kicked himself for so long because you, you know, there's, there's this moment where you want to be there for your family physically and you just, he just couldn't, he didn't have the opportunity. So I think for such a long time, my brother, he felt a lot of guilt for not being able to be there with us when this was happening. It didn't hit me until, like hit me hard until a few months after. And that's because I, I was very much internalizing my feelings so I could be there for my mom, my sister. And then you come to this realization, this person's life is not here. Anymore. Their energy is with you because I very much believe in energy his life wasn't there with me. And then I just had a moment where I like broke down. And then I went through this whole spiral in my brain of like, what am I doing? What's like, what am I, what do I want in my life? Nothing's really promised. And if I'm going to be here, I want to do something, have impact, make people feel good. Um, and so it just like, there, there are two big events in my life that got the wheels turning and changed. That was the first, probably the first one. I can totally relate to this story on a family level. I know my mother's brother, uh, he passed away from cancer as well, but he was also living on the West Coast at the time and she wasn't able to get there during his last moments. And I know how tough that was on her and we've talked about it since. So right. I can only imagine for you being in this position, trying to you know be there for your family, be there for your brother, seeing how difficult this was on him. It couldn't have been easy. And then and to deal with that going forward, as you mentioned at the top of this episode, being an empath and finally having this moment where you ask yourself, what is it that I need? That that question bears so much more weight almost when that's not a question you ask yourself often. I'm a person and this has changed. So I've changed a lot and this is through self-care and um, good therapy. Um, but I think... I was always a person who never put myself first. Every everyone else's needs came before me, and that and that was whether I was in a relationship, friendships, um, family, clients. Everyone came before me. I wanted to make everyone else feel good, and it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a bad thing when you you become second and you're you're in this passenger seat. Um, so instead, I said, anyone who really loves me, friend, 
someone I'm in a relationship with, I have to tell them my needs also. And if that doesn't align with them, we can talk about why it doesn't. But anyone who really loves you and wants, wants you to take care of yourself, whether that's I need to go run outside for an hour or I need to go work out or I need to go take my camera and go shooting or I just need to go walk outside, right? In terms of self-care, I need to read a book. Whatever it is, someone who cares about you will understand that and they will want you to do that for yourself because they know that's filling your cup. Um, and so that's what really, really changed. I started saying, okay, uh, I don't want to go to this party just to, it doesn't work for me because tomorrow I have to teach and wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I can't go to this thing. Is your friend going to be disappointed? No, because they know there's something important for you that you have to do. So that's really when that narrative started to change for me or become stronger. It's become the strongest it ever has right now. But it was such a healthy change. Yeah, I'm totally someone that can relate to this. And I feel like that change for me happened in two phases. The first phase was getting to a point where I felt more comfortable articulating those needs. And I learned after I got to that place that I then had to make sure that I was dealing with the right people who respected me saying that, respected that it was an effort for me to tell them what it was that I needed. And then in turn, as you were just kind of talking about, didn't judge it or make me feel some kind of way or try to get me to flex the boundary that I was working so hard to establish because those are the people that I didn't need in my life, right? The people that were trying to take advantage of the fact like, hey, my name's Emily. I'm an empath. I'm a giver. I have trouble keeping these boundaries at times. I'm going to vocalize to you what I need and I need you to work with me on making me keep that thing instead of flexing on it. Which is the healthiest thing we can all do for ourselves. As an empath, you feel bad, which is crazy <laughs> for doing something for yourself. But um, I'm sure it changed the way you lived your life from then on when you when you created these boundaries and when you could say to someone, hey, like, no, like, and this needs to be okay. Definitely. So you mentioned that the loss of your stepfather was one of two difficult events that happened for you in your life that really changed and helped mold you into the person that you are today. Talk to me about what happened in event number two. So event two was my grandmother, who I talk about all the time, whether it's just in life or in class or just in general. She's she's basically the person who took care of us like while my mom and my aunt were back in school. So my brother and my aunt's son are four years older. So they came first. And then there's me, my younger sister, and then my cousin, Chris and my cousin Jamie's little sister. So she was basically the facilitator or the babysitter. So anything you're talking about in terms of life values, um, rules, discipline, it was Nana, right? And so there's a way that we all think that comes from her. And so who I am, she's, of course, my parents have shaped me and been the, the real root of who I am as a person, but she was... She was like our heart. Um, she was the person who held the families together. She was the person who made sure all the cousins were getting together, that we went to family reunions, um, that we understood how to treat one another, that we understood how to treat strangers or people that weren't like us. So, and it's funny because she struggled with that with my, you know, my stepdad because he was white. And at the time of him and my mom getting together, she was totally against it. Um, she actually didn't talk to my mom for a year. And I remember this because I was so young and I remember there being like, um sort of like a fight about it and we didn't see her for like a year and then all of a sudden that changed but um 
and she changed, but it was, it was, it was so great. I, or it's such a good learning lesson to watch my grandma, who is this older woman for them from the South with her own traumas, right? Because that's the only reason you don't want two people who are different to be together because you've experienced trauma as a younger person or in your life that says they're not supposed to be, but it was beautiful to watch her love fall in love with him. Right. And, uh, change her own narrative. Cause I think there's always this, uh, People always say, oh, you're, I'm too old to change. That's bullshit. <laughs> and so like, that was such a huge learning lesson for me, but she was, to rewind back to my dad's death, she, she, did, she couldn't stand my dad. And then she was, she, she was the last person who saw him alive. So when we left hospice, I remember she had gone back and she had called us to say like, Bobby's passing. And that was like such a moment because you think about, this person not welcoming someone into their life. And then all of a sudden, this is the last person they see with love, right? And so I remember life is crazy as a trainer, right? We fast forward and I worked a lot. You know, 4.30 was my first client and most of the time I would get home at eight o'clock at night. And that was a chunk of my day. So it was training clients, I would teach classes, I would go to meetings, um, I would have clients and then I'd go home. And that was my day and that was probably six days a week. Um, so I didn't see my family a lot, uh, when it came to like Sunday dinners and like them doing stuff and it's not that far, right? The Bronx is not that far, but I was always so exhausted that I would always just call and say, you know, talk to her and say, Nani, you know, I'm, I'm not coming up. I'm really, really tired and I have to get ready for the week. So, um, one day they were over, well, they were going over to my grandma's house for a Sunday dinner. And, you know, my sister was there, my niece was there, my mom was there. I think one of my cousins were there. And um, she called and she was, she was like, Marisa, are you coming? Marisa is my middle name, by the way. If I'm ever in trouble, you can call me that. So I was like, Nana, you know, I'm too tired. I can't come. And she said to me, and she was like, Maurice, you know, you can't, your family's not always going to be here. You have to, you have to set yourself up so that you have time for friends and family. And so that night they left. Um, Everyone went home and then my sister tried to get in contact with my grandmother the next day and she couldn't. She thought that was strange. So she went to um, my grandma's apartment and she found her there um, unconscious and she was still alive, but she had had an aneurysm. So they obviously called 911. The ambulance came to get her, brought us to the hospital. My whole family is there. We didn't know what to do. And so they tried to see if there was brain activity. There was no brain activity. My grandma's not the kind of person who would want to live life as a vegetable. So my mom, my aunt made the decision, obviously, to take our life support. And, um, you know, it, you go through this, like, this moment of, like, how, why, why is this happening? How is this happening? Like, and then you just backtrack. And you, all, all I could think about was every time I said no to to not being there to not coming to dinner to just in, to not being present and that's all i focused on and i was just there and i couldn't hear anybody and i was just like in the hospital and so they were like listen we're going to take off life support and she's gonna um, slowly pass away so i said i said to my mom i was like hey mom can i can i just go lay on nana's chest and she was like uh are you sure about that and i was like yeah yeah I, like i need to just be there in her final moments and so me and my sister, um, we went into the room and then we just laid there on her chest and you listened to someone's heartbeat and you listened to it fade away. 
and it was the most difficult thing that I've ever had to do because I was counting down every heartbeat to understand that like she, she won't be here soon. And so finally, I did not hear her heartbeat, and I could. I told my sister she's she's not alive, and my sister obviously broke down. We broke down. Um, and that that was the moment when I was like, nothing. I'm nothing. I'm doing is right. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. I'm supposed to. I'm I'm being a bad brother, a bad son, a bad grandson, a bad cousin, a bad friend. And I wasn't doing anything in terms of who I was in life. And I was like what it was literally i said what the fuck is going on right and my, I, I can i can always hear my grandma i can always feel my grandma and that stuck with me maurice your family is not going to be around for always you you have to make time and i did not have a life where i couldn't make time so i said to myself my life has to change immediately um and that's when my brain was like, what do, what do I want to do? How do I get there? And like, what's the immediate response that I need to take to get what I want out of this life? Because I, I was 30, 2018. So I was 34 at the time. And I was on that cusp of, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm so healthy. And in terms of age, well into my 60s, 70s, I'll probably have physically look like this. <laughs> Not gonna joke. That's like a genetic thing from my grandfather, like my grandparents' side. It's great. I'm gonna hold on to it. But I was like to myself, what, where do, where do I go? I want to make people feel good. What, in what capacity should I be doing um, my job? Or, or I, I think I need to explore uh, what this actually means. And that's why I wanted to get out of the industry because I didn't think that I was actually helping people. I thought that I was actually hurting people, right? Creating this dysmorphia for everyone because everything's about how you physically look versus how you mentally feel. Um, and so alignment, right? Things happen for a reason. And uh, Peloton, I went into a test of tread from one of my clients in their showroom. And I was, he was like opening up a house and he wanted to buy his tread. Went in there, Rebecca Kennedy's saw me, I did not see her. Um, while I'm running in the showroom, she asked the front desk guy, she said, hey, ask that gentleman if he wants to audition. Bang, bang. That starts that path. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up, new to the show, welcome Camelback. To say that I'm amped about this partnership would be a massive understatement because I literally have cabinets overflowing with Camelback products. Camelback is all about continuously reinventing outdoor hydration and carry solutions that empower an active lifestyle and an active lifestyle is what I've got. Now, I have a ton of favorite bottles. Like I said, I have a slew of them here in my apartment. My two favorite go-tos, one, the Eddie 32 ounce water bottle. It's made of this insulated stainless steel and has a super, super handy bite valve, as they call it. So it's spill and leak proof, AKA perfect for when you're on the go. Also swear by this when I'm on my Peloton, like heaving and huffing, it is idyllic. And then I cannot praise 
my Horizon Tumbler enough, which is ideal for my morning walks to Fort Greene Park. It keeps my coffee warm for as long as I want to stroll thanks to a double wall vacuum insulated stainless steel. It's super cozy in my hand. And because I like the process of making my own coffee, putting it in this super cozy tumbler and carrying it around, I have stopped buying so much caffeine outside of the home, which is always, always a good thing. Anyway, of course, Camelback has a deal for all of you. Head on over to camelback.com slash custom and use code HURDLE25 to get 25% off a custom Camelback of your choice today. Again, that is camelback.com, C-A-M-E-L-B-A-K.com slash custom. Use code HURDLE25 for 25% off your order today. Next, I want to give some love to my friends at Inside Tracker. Now, I am always seeking to do all the right things for my body so I can provide more energy, better sleep, and a healthy immune system. You know, I want to live longer, I want to live better, and I want to live healthier. So, obviously, I was super excited to try out Inside Tracker, which is an ultra personalized performance system that analyzes data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle and fitness tracker to help optimize your body and reach your health and wellness goals. And I'll be a little bit honest, a couple months ago, I was feeling a little bit sluggish when it came to my marathon training, but with one mobile blood draw and a DNA swab, Insight Tracker identified that I had lower iron and ferritin levels. Not only that, they then transformed that data into meaningful insights and customized an action plan for me with science-backed nutrition, fitness, and lifestyle recommendations. I just got my second blood draw last week and both my iron and my ferritin levels improved and I'm feeling a whole lot better when it comes to my workouts. Now, of course, Inside Tracker is offering hurdlers an amazing discount. Head on over to insidetracker.com slash hurdle and you will receive 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store for a limited time. Again, that is I-N-S-I-D-E-T-R-A-C-K-E-R.com slash hurdle to receive 25% off the entire store. Let's get back to it. Wow. I mean, what, what an unbelievable story. And thank you so much for sharing that. You'd mentioned at that time you were already training clients. So how had you originally gotten into this line of work? And at the time, did you think that it was possible to stay in this line of work and find your purpose and and seek out uh, working with clients on that more emotional level as well? Or did you think like, oh, I'm, I'm out of here? Well, so I, I mean, I, 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 my good friend is the person uh, who actually introduced me to boutique fitness. Uh, I had been training clients one-on-one at the time. But I went to a class and I was like, this is my speed, right? Like, this is great. The energy with these people is amazing. This is something I want to explore. Um, so I did. And I um, I was hired and I started working at Tone House at the time and I was still training clients. Um, and that you, you can't, you can't recreate that kind of energy in terms of like teamwork and camaraderie and um, helping people, you know, push past their plateaus. There's, there's nothing like it. That, that is the, by far my favorite thing about connecting, right? What I 
what I do now is just on a global level, right? And it's, I think it's more intimate because people aren't actually in the room. So you have to, your message has to be so clear. What you're trying to give in terms of your energy needs to be so clear. Uh, so when I made this shift, it almost made me um, not question, but rethink what, what am I, what am I, what do I want people to feel like? What do I want you to walk away with when you leave an Adrian class? Um, what does that actual message look like? And that drove the narrative forward of, right, at the end of the day, I just want people to smile, have a good time and feel like they're empowered. It's super interesting, this idea of how can you convey a message without both having someone in the room and be mm -hmm. like saying a certain thing, like how have you learned through Peloton to get to this place where you're able to help people in that kind of a way? Uh, it starts with good leadership. We have, we have amazing leadership at Peloton. I feel especially where I'm in life now, it's because I come from line of strong women, it's nice to have such strong women, uh, as, as leaders in, in this company. Obviously it starts with Robin, right. Um, who during this whole training process was not only so supportive, uh, she she wanted me to push outside of my comfort zone because my comfort zone was not in front of my the camera the comfort zone for me was behind the camera um and she every time we sat down we'd go through this this onboarding process and we'd she'd watch classes and give me feedback it was like a small piece of growth a small piece of growth and then all of a sudden i was like huh you watch you watch peloton and any class that you've seen or taken, there's always a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? And listening to everyone's story, everyone's individual story, everyone's unique story, you understand that there is space for you to be an individual and no, you don't have to be anyone else. And I thought the actual opposite when I was there, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to fit into a mold. Absolutely not. We want you to be exactly who you are, Adrian. And we're just trying to make you get to the most authentic, feel like you can be your most authentic self in front of everyone. And I was like, wow, it's rare that you're in a workspace where it's like, no, we need you to be exactly who you are because we can see it. We want our members to see it because they'll fall in love with you. Um, so it was, again, leadership top down. Uh, I had Robin there. I had Rebecca Kennedy there, who was also Andy Spear, um, Dennis. There were like people... Anytime I was in the studio, there would always be a piece because there was this internal conflict of, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not capable. I'm not good enough. And it was always like, listen, once you, once you get to on the platform and once you have your first class, you'll understand what it, what you need to do and what you need to get. And everyone was right. As soon as I had that first class and the response from people who were in Ohio, California, Nevada, like, Florida, like all these people who are connected through this one lens and understanding how you made them feel in a moment um, or something that you said that you may have deemed insignificant. And they took that as a piece and they took it as something that they could walk away with and feel better about themselves or that got them through something. Then you, you understand the intimate connection that you're making with people. I want to go back 
uh, briefly before we get more into the Peloton chapter and revisit the time period after your grandmother passed away, because this is certainly that so many people listening to this show can really sympathize with just going through such a what feels like soul crushing moment, figuring out how to move on, how to pick yourself up off the ground, aside from movement, which I know is a obviously a super integral part to your routine. What were those weeks and months after this hurdle moment like for you? How did you find the strength to move forward? So they were tough for me because, uh, again, I was still at that point in my life where everyone else mattered more than I did. So I I kept it in, right? And I didn't I didn't let it out. I didn't let the you know the client see it where I was teaching. I didn't um, I didn't really go through it with my my family. Um, I was I was angry after for a while. And I was angry that I felt like I had to keep it in. And that that was a choice I made. I, I didn't have to. Um, I just felt that I needed to. So it was for for probably two months in my brain, I was just upset, right? And then that's tough because you have to go to a workspace and be completely different. So you go to your workspace, you turn on and smile. Hi, how's everyone? And it is the duality of that is chaos because you you don't feel that way, but you have to in you know in front of your your clients or the members. Um, so I finally said to myself, okay, no, I I need to be real with people. Like um, when they ask me how I'm doing, I'm just going to tell them I'm not doing well. Like and there's nothing wrong with that. And I I didn't want people to feel like they had to. Um, reach out all the time or that I needed taken care of. I just didn't feel good. That's there's, there's no rhyme or reason. Uh, and so I said, well, how do I go about feeling good? And I said, is this industry part of what makes me don't like not feel good? Am I actually making people feel better about themselves? Are people, you know, here with me in this space and feeling like when they leave, they are better. And I questioned that. And so that's why I wanted to get out of the fitness space because I, and it still is this, it's a cycle of um, what you see isn't always what you get in terms of social media. People preach, but that's not really, they're there to be worshiped. I didn't want to be worshiped. I wanted people to worship themselves and like fall in love with themselves again. So I said, maybe I should change industries because Obviously, my in terms of what I like to do outside of fitness, it's anything photography related. Um, and I'm I had such a my brother works in production, so I was like to myself, okay, that's it. I can start there, and I'll just start from the beginning. Like some people go from being chefs their whole lives, and then all of a sudden they, my friend who's like, I remember he was 35. He's like, I want to be a doctor, and he changed roles. So I was like, okay, it's possible. Maybe that's what I'm going to do. Well, you mentioned you almost moved to LA to do this. So what what happened on the journey then? When I was uh, getting ready to say like, okay, I'm calling it quits. I'm going to move across to the West Coast. Peloton happened, which to me was like- Got it. My grandma being like, Kira, you can, I need you to start this new path for yourself. Like this is your path. I need you to go. 
And I read somewhere on the internet that Peloton actually came knocking twice. So it wasn't the first time, but the second time. So do you mind like giving us some, some information? Oh, on that? totally. Um, so the first time they came knocking, I was, you know, at the time working for a startup. So for, for me, I was very committed to seeing this startup become, you know, what it was, what it should be in terms of growth and expansion and um, being in different cities. And when they, so when they came knocking the first time, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm in this committed relationship. I, I, I can't, it's, it's now's not the time. And you think about stuff like that and you're like, I should have taken it then. But in reality, it's everything happens when it's supposed to. But yeah, I said no the first time. So is the second time when Rebecca saw you on the tread or give me like some timeline here? Yeah. So the second time, that's probably a year later is when I was in that showroom on Christopher Street and Rebecca saw me on the tread. I don't, she didn't know it was me though. I don't think she saw my face. She just saw me from behind. <laughs> because <laughs> well from behind it was like let's hire this guy <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man i i yeah i hey to each their own i would be remiss if i didn't say that in my dms people are like I, I had, uh, I had put onto, into my stories earlier. I was like, I'm going to be sitting down with Adrian. Like what questions do we have for Adrian? And you know, there's a flurry of different thoughts and feelings and whatnot. And I'm keep in mind, I have like a predominantly female following who all think you are like exceedingly attractive and a wonderful human with a great personality. Many of them are also like, how do abs like this exist? And how do I get glutes like this? And I'm like, let's just like give it up to genetics for just like a second, as well as, as I'm privy to know, an excellent diet. Yeah. I mean, I eat, I eat well. And that's, that was established at such a young age because my mom, we didn't, we didn't grow up with red meat in the house really. Um, I didn't really start eating steak till I was much, much older, but we, it was, there was mostly, it was mostly fish, uh, chicken, you had to eat salad before you had your dinner. Sometimes there was no meat involved at all during dinner. We didn't have soda in the house. We rarely had juice. Fruit snacks were like, if you got them, you hid them. You took five and you hid them in like a space because it was like, I gotta have fruit snacks. So that was established at such a young age. So by the time I was out and about with myself, it was something I already knew. So it was a part of my life. So when I cook for myself, it's it's still in that same um, line. I still am like, greens always i always have to have salad and not that people are going to hear salad and they're going to be like all oh, he eats is salads no i just like to eat green and greens obviously good for you and your health and i don't i drink water pretty much unless i'm drinking like tequila or beer and beet juice i love that this is the wave um i mostly drink water so it's the three the three basic food groups tequila <laughs> beer beet juice water <laughs> How backwards is it? How backwards is it? It's like, are you drinking tequila in the morning, Adrian? Beet juice is probably the first one. And then maybe a little tequila and beer. Wait, Adrian, but you didn't mention your blue bottle coffee obsession. I mean, it's always with me. (laughs) (laughs) Holds it up front and center. And you have to shake it before you drink it. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. If you like iced coffee, get the shaker out, get some ice, pour some coffee in there. A little oat milk, shake that sucker up. It's frothy. Ugh. 
really just changes your morning. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Okay, wait, I'm going to get us a little back on track now. So, <laughs> so, but so you start teaching on the Peloton platform. I believe you're announced in early 2020. What was the experience like for you from when you went through all those interviews to when you started training that obviously uh, COVID begins, all of this is happening in the same kind of time period. So talk me through a little bit in that. So yeah, that's the most interesting part of this process, right? Coming on during COVID. Uh, so I was um, supposed to be, I, I, I launched in May of 2020, uh, but I was supposed to be launched um, when COVID hit. So COVID hits and I'm like, oh no, what's going to happen? So we don't know what's going to happen. Everyone thinks it's, oh, this will be two weeks. And I was like, no, this is going to be bad. Um, so COVID happens, obviously things shut down. So we say, okay, in April, maybe this is going to happen. Studio shuts down. And so we get to May and there's there's a lot happening, right? Um, Black Lives Matter is like, I feel like at the peak of what's happening in terms of what the world is seeing and everyone having eyes on you know something that's existed and been going on for such a long time. But we were all in this pause state. So we all could, we only could focus on this one thing. So I remember thinking to myself, like, they're like, okay, we're going to launch you in May. And I thought to myself, I'm like, I really, and this is how I think, I'm not important right now. Like, is it important for me to be launched or is it important for people to focus on, uh, you know, what's happening at hand? Because I'd rather be someone who helps people learn versus bring the attention to me and say, like, it's this is all about me. And Robin put it so lovely. She said, you can be an outlet for people. Think about yourself in that in that sense. And because people are going through such a difficult time, you can be a source of, of joy, of happiness for them. And she's like, I want you to focus on that. And I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. This is exactly what I've been trying to do the whole time. I was like, perfect. So when I was launched and I was launched with Chelsea Jackson, who's also amazing. Um, the bullseye on us was so intense because you had never been in a place mm. where you could have that much attention on you at all times. Um, so we, we had a unique launch because there was, you want to talk about an outpour of love that we received. Uh, it was, I couldn't believe what was happening. I couldn't believe the messages that I was getting. Um, I couldn't believe the growth, right? You talk about, I mean, on social media, I had 25,000 people follow me in less than 48 hours you know, 25,000 new eyes on you as a person, right? Uh, and so there was this, I felt this responsibility immediately and understanding of who, one, that there's a lot of people watching and two, what are they walking away with in terms of like character um, or just uh, our relationship? Like, what is our relationship and what is that gonna be like? Uh, so I was like, oh, Adrian, this is this is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and it's crazy because if we're backtracking, someone, one of my friend's mentors said, and I'll again, never forget this. This was a month before I actually auditioned. He said, if you don't stop wearing the cloak or the cape over yourself, if you continue to wear that, 
and you don't take that skin off to show the world who you really are, you'll never realize your full potential. And he's like, you're supposed to help, help people on a global scale, not, um, not in the capacity that you're doing right now. And I was like, oh, really? And I thought he was, you know, I'm like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And then fast forward a month <laughs> later, <laughs> I'm auditioning for Peloton and now I work for this global platform. It's crazy to me because you mentioned so many times in our conversation thus far, being an empath, then you just highlighted 25,000 new followers in 48 hours. I have to ask a twofold question. One, how have you learned to navigate the fact that it is physically, mentally, emotionally impossible to legitimately show up for hundreds of thousands of people at once? And two... Mm -hmm if you wouldn't mind sharing, when in your journey did you actually start to seek out therapy for yourself? Because I would imagine that was super, super critical in helping you figure out the right way to carry on and show up for these people. Right. I, uh, so I, I think I'll, I'll start with therapy and then how that translates. So, um, you know, yeah. after my grandma, I think that was, it was a huge moment of, I, I need a, um, structured safe space to talk about like how I'm actually feeling because I don't get to and I haven't gotten to I felt like I had done it in years right like let's say it was a decade I feel like that I wasn't talking about my feelings I needed to get a lot of stuff out um and I think by purging and and getting all of these feelings out I could be the most authentic version of myself the most true version of myself so it started with therapy and I think once I was back to feeling like adrian because uh i always say this i'm a super emotional person and you might not always get that in in the beginning because i'm i'm structured so if there's a problem i want to solve it how do we like what's going on how do we get through this and like what's the answer that's always how i am but i take on people's feelings also at the same time so i think when i was in therapy i was like the, the one of the best process like about therapy was being one being questioned about decisions that i've made right because there was never really feedback and there's never anyone being like oh i'm gonna shove now i have friends in my life who are like yeah adrian that's a stupid decision or you shouldn't have done that or like why did you do that um and in therapy that's 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 literally the relationship you have someone who's there to you know not only help you over the hurdles but um help you process these these feelings and emotions that you're feeling so once I could process my own feelings and emotions, I knew when I showed up for people, there were, there were, there's always, for me, I have rules when I, when I show up in class. Um, and my rules are that you feel one really supported while you're there, challenged. And, um, I provide some sort of mental clarity, uh, just because I think a lot of times when we work out, we're, we're purging in, in, in terms of physical, in the physical sense. Um, and, I want people to walk away feeling just a little bit more clear, whether that's in your own strength, whether that's in, you know, what you need to do for the rest of your day for your children or work. I want you to walk away and have some sort of answer for yourself or feel some sort of empowerment, right? For the rest of your day. I knew if I made sure people felt those things in class that I was giving exactly what I wanted in terms of how people are supposed to feel, but also helping people walk away feeling better about themselves. And that's, that's been, if you've heard anything in this conversation, that's been the point, right? Like trying to really just make people walk away feeling better about themselves, minor or major, 
doesn't always have to be major. But if you, for me, if you smiled, if, if you felt a sense of joy, that's awesome. You're walking away feeling better about life in yourself. So having that structure or rules for my, like for myself in class, it's easy for me to teach because that, that drives my energy that drives me, um, teaching that drives what I say a lot of times. And sometimes things come out, right? Like I've, I've cried in class quite a few times actually. And you don't know that this is going to happen. It just, when you're working out, you know, this, you become emotional. And sometimes I always tell people in my class, you need to cry, just cry. Like let it, you need to let it out. But I think working out is therapeutic. It's, it's some of the best therapy I've ever, and you know this more than anyone because you do it all. <laughs> but um, it's, it's some of the best therapy that you can use for yourself and that you can get. For sure, for sure. I can totally, totally relate to it. I don't know if I do it all, but at least sometimes just like you, I try to <laughs> in some ways. So, I mean, now we're at an, a year and a half into your journey at Peloton. If you had to articulate maybe one of the biggest lessons you've learned during this time, what would you say it would be? The biggest learning lesson is uh, time, right? It is what are what am I doing with my time and how am I using it wisely? And I think because at Peloton, the instructors wear so many hats, right? Um, whether we're TJs, programmers, um, therapists, uh, instructors, um, peers, we, we have to wear so many hats. So what I do with my time is really important now and how I spend my time is even more so important. Now I think time management is the biggest, is the biggest thing I learned and I didn't have it before and I didn't know how to, sh I always focused on like, I have to do X, Y, Z for work, which is now very much a part of my life. But it's like, where do I fit my family and friends in there consistently? So my time management, I think, is the most important thing. The second is, it's, how do I describe it? It's like being in a, going from a uh, unhealthy relationship to a healthy relationship. My partner now cares about me and um, is concerned for my, like, physical health, my uh, mental health. So, um I think that's also a big learning lesson, right? Like you want to be in or work in a space where there's a symbiotic relationship of care. Uh, and I couldn't be more cared for in, in the space. So it's just good to be somewhere where you're loved and appreciated. Right now, if someone was to go to your social media feeds, they would see someone with increasingly, increasingly, increasingly every day, thousands of new followers, 150,000 people looking at this great, huge smiling guy uh, that loves to help other people. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? Uh, I see a better version of what my grandma was trying to help um, me understand in terms of who I was as a person. And I, I, I see someone who's in the, in a short time. And I, I would say in, the past two and a half years become the best version of himself just because there's no apology for who I am as a human. And I know I'm a good person. Uh, and I know I'd like to give to the world. So I see someone who's um, not only wanting to, to love everyone who's in my space, but wanting to bring people who don't feel that way into my space. So they do. Um, I see someone who just wants to help, you know, and, and be a part of someone's 
positive journey. And I think when I teach now, I've always said, like, if I can give you one thing that you can take with you and carry with you for the rest of your life, I'm, I'm, I've become your trainer for life. So if there's one value that you walk away with from me, for me, I've done my job. And that's the most important thing. A few times in this conversation, you have recalled like little tidbits, uh, pieces of advice that other individuals have given you. You just articulated how great it is if someone could walk away with one piece from you. And I think that that is such an awesome opportunity and such a beautiful takeaway from your journey is knowing that at any given moment, we as individuals have the opportunity to help someone and anything that we say at any moment could inspire another human. And it doesn't matter if you have hundreds of thousands of followers or five followers, or if it's the Whole Foods grocery clerk, or if it's your local barista, like any human interaction is an opportunity to positively influence another person. And how beautiful is that opportunity? And I think as humans, we take advantage of that. Uh, it's, it's so easy to get caught up in you, you think, or thinking things are insignificant, right? Saying good, it's so simple. And it's like the things you were taught as a child, saying good morning to someone, asking someone if they need help, or holding the door for someone smiling at someone it's it's so simple how like the smallest things can change someone's someone's day right um i'll never forget one of my coworkers. i was teaching on a sunday and she was having like a difficult day so i went and got her matcha and she started crying and i was like are you like katie are you okay and she's like yeah she's just like no one ever does things for me and i was like the, the simplicity of buying someone matcha and that being something that means so much to them is small. So just think about that on a large scale, what you could do for someone. It's so special. Okay. The final question, my friend, right now, you have an opportunity to offer the Adrian in the days and weeks after losing his grandmother during that hurdle moment, one piece of advice looking back on it now. What do you tell him to make sure you do what's um what's really important to you and if that means having to make adjustments in your work life so that you can um for me spend the spend time with people that you love and care about or you know nurture the relationships that are important for you i think it's important i think it would have been important to know that like I, maybe i didn't have to always be working so much. Maybe I didn't have to say yes to everything. Maybe it was okay to say no to certain things and not do um, not not do everything just to do everything. I think I always felt bad saying saying no to you know extra work because I was like, oh, they'll think I'm not a hard worker or like maybe I won't get an opportunity because I'm saying no for something else. What's really important, right? Like I, I work hard. That's 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 always been me. That's always who I am as a person. But um, I think saying no, like Adrian, it's okay to say no to things. <laughs> that's that's probably the biggest piece of advice. You don't have to say yes to everything. Um, and if you miss out on an opportunity just because I'm so hardworking, eventually it will it will come. And I think being at Peloton has really made me understand that. I was like, okay. I've, I've, I've worked this hard and gotten to this place because um, I do think I'm a valuable member in terms of having a person 
who's your coworker or as a friend or as a son, I'm, I think I add value to, um, the workspace. So just say no, Adrian, just say no sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> just say no. Do you? I'm so grateful for your perspective and thank you again for your vulnerability and for opening up about your family story. Again, I know there are so many people listening to this who have been through similar hurdle moments and it's a really special chance that we have to to communicate about them and share our experiences about them so that we can feel less alone in our journeys wherever they may take us. Adrian, how do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give me all of the details. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Adrian Williams NYC. You can also follow me on the Peloton app. Download it. You don't need any sort of hardware if you do amazing, but um, come take any of my strength classes. We can run outdoors. We can run on the tread and do boot camps. There's, there's a ton of ways you can spend time with me. And let's just connect. Uh, that's that's what we're here to do. Let's just connect. If someone is brand new to you and you have the opportunity to tell them one class to run to ASAP, do you have like one or two faves to call out? 100%. Um, we have a program that we did um, for runners who are just starting on their journey. So it like brings you from the person who's never run in their life into getting you to run for 30 minutes. Um, we also have, in terms of strength, we have strength for runners. Uh, we have beginners classes um, in, in terms of strength. There's there are so many ways to train with me. Don't think because you haven't ever run or picked up a weight before or done a push-up that we can't train together. The journey, once you start the journey, it's something that you sign on as a lifestyle, right? So it'll continue and it'll evolve and it'll change. All you have to do is start. Um, I'm a huge fan of forgiveness and, um, not being able to do everything, but trying, I think is the most important thing. Love that takeaway. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at hurdle podcast, another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys <laughs> <love> next it. <laughs> time. <laughs>